0: Well, good morning. How are you guys? You know, I was uh, talking to my wife earlier this week, and I was like, oh man, this is the weekend of Memorial Day. Everybody's going to be gone. And I appreciate you guys proving me wrong. Uh, So (laughs) thank you so much uh, for being here today. Um, I want to begin by saying uh, how grateful I am. Too solid rock for this opportunity. You know, I I get up here each Wednesday and talk to 7th through 12th graders, uh, but it's a different story talking to uh, adults. So uh, thank you guys so much, um, church and and church family, for allowing me the opportunity just to open God's Word and and walk through what we're going to talk about today. Um, With that being said, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 9, so take your Bible and open up with me there if you don't mind. And uh, and while you are opening up to that passage, I want to give you guys a little story from my life that helped kind of shape what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, About nine years ago, I was volunteering uh, in a youth group, actually, um, at at the church that I was attending. I was living in Odessa, Texas, and I was uh, about a sophomore junior in uh, in college. And uh, the, the youth director at the time had this idea that we were going to go and we were going to serve um, others in some capacity. And so uh, we loaded up from Odessa, drove about four and a half hours um, over here to the actual DFW area. And uh, we were going to serve at Mission Arlington. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Mission Arlington before. Okay. Phenomenal ministry, really exciting uh, opportunity that we were going to have. I had never been to Mission Arlington before, so I was pumped. I was really excited. Um, And I remember whenever they loaded us up and took us over to uh, where we were going to be serving, we we drove and and we pulled up to this parking lot of uh, a really, really run-down apartment complex. And I remember being super excited and then my excitement just kind of faded because I saw where we were going to be. Um, you know, I should have, you know, had a selfless attitude, uh, but I didn't. Um, and so we, we went there and we were in this apartment complex. And so for, for about four or five days, we went to this apartment complex and it, it was open, had this open middle courtyard kind of area. And I remember there just being like hundreds of kids. It was crazy. No adults. I don't know what their parents were doing, <laughs> but uh, the kids—they were just running around—and and, and uh, I remember that first and that second day, they were really, really difficult. Uh, they didn't want us to be here. These kids didn't. Um, they uh, threw things at us, uh, used some pretty colorful language at us, and I—you know—I thought, "Where'd you learn to talk like that?" Oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, it was—it was—it was a difficult experience the first few days. But you know, as we went on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, we just fell in love with these kids and, and they fell in love with us. And it was such an exciting moment. It was a time that I will never forget. And I remember we we built this relationship with one kid specifically. His name was Gerardo. Uh, I think I have a picture to show you guys up here. Yeah, there he is in the middle. They they didn't believe in shirts, by the way. Um, And there I am in the back, looking like a total fool. Uh, That's nine years ago. Uh, Nothing's changed. Ask uh, ask my friends. Um, Nothing's changed. Anyway. I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit what I'm going to tell you guys here, but you know, this is one of the first times that I remember serving in the capacity of where people were legitimately hurting and suffering. I wish I could say I remember a time before that, but but I, I just I just don't. And I remember being so moved by this experience, knowing that God had used me and this youth group to not only meet people in their need, but meet people during their struggle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to see how Jesus himself encountered people that were suffering and who were hurting. And as we um, walk through this, you may notice that the title of this morning's sermon is The Heart of the Laborer. And what I hope to talk to you guys about this morning is what does the heart of a laborer look like? Let me read this passage of scripture, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll we'll jump into it. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went through all of the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That's a key word, compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be laborers in the harvest. And Lord, as I, as I open up your word and I communicate it to our church family, Lord, I pray that, that this message be not about me whatsoever, be a, but be about what you would have us to do as we listen to the words of your son and we take it and put it into a world, put it into practice, into a world that desperately needs it. Lord, thank you so much for Solid Rock Church. Thank you for what you're doing in and through this place. Would we continuously and always give you the praise and the honor and glory for those things? It's not about us, but it's about you and you only. Please speak through me. Allow me to communicate clearly. And would we leave here remembering the compassion that you showed to the harassed and helpless people? I pray this in your name, amen. And so as we, as we walk through what the heart of a laborer looks like, I, I hope to answer two questions for you guys. Uh, number one, what did Jesus mean by what he says here in this passage? And number two, what does that mean to us, right? Because if we read this passage, we can easily just glaze over, oh yeah, that's nice, and then go up out, of our, out of the building here and, and just not even think about it again. So what does that mean to us? And so Starting in verse 36, we're going to save 35 to a little bit later, but we see in 36 that Jesus is going from city to city, village to village, and his traveling from these different areas all stemmed, all hinged upon this word compassion. And that's a word that I want you guys, as I said, to pay attention to. And, you know, I think, I think it's a, a absolutely fundamental for us to understand what this word compassion means and it helps us to understand how we have the responsibility to show that compassion to the people outside these walls first let me kind of define for you what the word compassion means miriam webster says it this a sympathetic and con- a sympathetic consciousness of others distress together with a desire to alleviate it and so compassion is not feeling sorry for somebody. That's not compassion. Compassion is twofold. It is seeing people in their need, in their struggle, and wanting to do something to alleviate that struggle, right? Compassion is seeing people in that struggle. In that area of their life and what can I do to help alleviate this what can I do to help them get through this difficult time one commentator says this about verse 36 the word compassion here is the strongest word for pity in the Greek language it describes the compassion which moves a man to the deepest depths of his being It's actually the same word that we see in Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son. You remember that story? Remember the story of the prodigal son and how this this son, he had asked for his inheritance early from his father. He should have received that when his father died, but he was so greedy that he wanted his dad to give him his inheritance early, and he did, and what did he do? The Bible says that he went and squandered it through loose living. To the point where he was left with nothing he had hit rock bottom in fact the bible says that he was eating the same things that pigs were eating and so what does he do he resolves he says oh this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to my dad and i'm gonna apologize i'm gonna say dad you know i'm sorry that i did this you know he had no idea how his dad was going to receive him but he knew that he had to do something And if he was going to be made one of the servants to his father, like he was gladly willing to do that, but he didn't want to stay in the state that he was in. And and then as we read verse 20 in Luke chapter 15, I want to read this for you. It says, and he, the, the prodigal son, he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Feel the weight of that. You know, he could have easily, the father could have easily said, no, you're not welcome here anymore, son. But he didn't. He was a long way off, and he ran and he embraced him. And I can imagine that the father, when he saw his son, saw the pain and the anguish and the helplessness that he had in his face, but it didn't matter. What mattered at that point was compassion. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the compassion that Jesus had here for the harassed and the helpless. And I think it's important to understand why were these people in Jesus' time in Matthew chapter 9, why were they harassed and helpless? Like what what caused that? I think there's a few reasons. I think number one, remember the Jews were under Roman captivity during this time and the Romans were not known to be a very nice and polite people at the very least they heavily taxed the jewish people secondly these jewish people they had no spiritual guidance remember there were pharisees and scribes the religious leaders of the day but what was their message their message was following the law and following traditions and whenever they saw somebody who didn't they were quick to judge right that's no spiritual leader That's one of the reasons that the Jewish people were harassed and helpless. And finally, probably worst of all, they had nobody to care for their souls. They were a people who were in need of a Savior. And the Savior was there. Jesus saw them in his compassion for the harassed and the helpless. I think that... In this passage, we see some parallel today to those whom Jesus had compassion on in Matthew chapter 9. Unfortunately, though, I think for many of us, our compassion is often lacking because we've become numb to the injustices of this world that cause people to be harassed and helpless. Today, there are so many who are just like these Jewish people. Think about the single mother who is doing everything she possibly can to make ends meet, to just get by, yet she still struggles every day. Or what about the student who believes that there is no hope for his future and there's something wrong with him because of the merciless teasing and gossip about him that he experiences every single day? Or what about the dad with a wife and children who's just lost his job, and he doesn't know where else he's gonna turn and how he's gonna provide for his family. You know, I read a story one time about a young pastor who, um, who was new to a church that was in a really poverty stricken area, and um, his staff member walks into his office one day and he sees this pastor standing at his window, and, and the pastor's crying. And the staff member says, pastor, what's wrong? What's going on? And the pastor tells the staff member just how overcome with emotion that he is because he's looking out the window and he's seeing these poverty-stricken people, people living on the street, people without a meal to eat, people who are going through just the most terrible struggles. And the staff member says, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough, but you know, you get used to that. And the pastor said, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of getting used to the harassed and the helpless. Guys, we can't get used to the harassed and the helpless. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid becoming numb to the harassed and the helpless of this world? Well, ah, for just three small things, I think first we have to see people where they are. See people in the struggle that they're facing. Don't become so self-centered that you don't see people in their struggle. I think also we have to listen. People are desperately wanting others to listen to what they're going through so that they can help them through that. Remember, compassion is not just hearing. It's hearing and wanting to do something about it. And I think one of the ways that we can avoid becoming numb to the harassed and helpless is to feel what they're going through. When's the last time you felt for that person? You cried with them. Feel as if you're going through that same struggle. First and foremost, the heart of the laborer has compassion for the harassed and the helpless. Now as we move into verse 38, we've seen that this com- this word compassion is so important and we need it in order to be like Jesus. But what about those times whenever it's really hard not to have or really hard to have compassion? What about those times whenever we don't have any compassion at all? Anybody ever been there? I have. What about those times whenever we are in our car and we pull up on the side of the road and we see somebody with a sign that says homeless, please help me and our first response is to pass judgment. What about those times? We've all been guilty of it. Guys, in those moments, we have to pray for compassion. Let me read verse 38 for you guys again. Therefore, This is Jesus talking, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus, he tells his disciples, pray earnestly. What does that mean, to pray earnestly? Well, the word here means to beg or bind oneself to something. We have to pray that God binds our hearts to the same compassion that Jesus had, compassion of seeing people in their struggle. And this has to be our constant prayer. You know, when I read verse 38, I'm reminded of a song that we sing here at Solid Rock and a line in that song, you've heard it, and in it it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. How often are we praying that what that means is us praying to god god break my heart for the harassed and the helpless like your heart is broken for the harassed and the helpless that is praying for compassion whether it's your job or your school or your family or whatever there will be moments probably a lot of moments where it's hard to have compassion it's hard I think the hardest times to have compassion is when those harassed and helpless people are going through whatever their struggle is, and it is self-imposed or self-caused, right? That's really tough. It's so easy in our minds to think something along the lines of, well, hey, you made your bed, you've got to lie in it. But hear me when I say this, God's compassion toward us is not selective, Therefore, our compassion towards the harassed and the helpless cannot be selective. The heart of the laborer prays for compassion. You know, our passage today, verses 35 through 38 in chapter nine, and I intentionally left uh, Uh, verse 35 until now, because I think it fits real neatly into the last part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Yeah, at the beginning of the passage, Jesus, what he does is he sets the example and the expectation for his disciples. And notice he did three things. Let me read verse 35 again. And Jesus, he went through the cities and villages doing these three things, teaching in their synagogues, So Jesus was teaching the Old Testament scriptures from city to city. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which was essentially him saying, hey, follow me. I'm God in the flesh, (laughs) right? And then the third thing that he did, it says that he healed every sickness and affliction so what jesus does here is he models for the disciples what he wants them to do and then notice in verse 37 he speaks to the disciples only after he has shown them what he wants them to do now i can just imagine the disciples sitting there and and hearing jesus say the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few then all of a sudden it's like right? He's talking about us. You know, you just want to shake Peter, James, and John, and those other guys and say, yes, he's talking about you. How do you not already know this? But those laborers, yes, Peter, James, John, those other disciples, yes, you are the laborers. And not only are you the laborers, but every other Christ follower that comes after you is a laborer who is expected to do the work that Jesus started during his earthly ministry. Jesus showed them what to do, and then he told them. And I think we can all agree that there is a difference between telling someone what to do and showing somebody what to do, right? Right. When I think about this, I think of a boss that I had, um, whenever I was in college, I was working for uh, Office Depot in their copy and print center. And I was a copy-making machine, let me tell you. Uh, And, uh, you know, for a while, we actually didn't um, have leadership in there. I was working for several months before they finally hired a copy center manager. And I remember thinking so much of Sean Eubanks was his name, because what he did is he didn't come in and just delegate, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That, That wasn't him. What he did on purpose is he made it a point to take me alongside and to show me what he wanted me to do. And with a good attitude, I might add, because let's be honest, I was in college, I had a bad attitude all the time. I did. And he did. He said, listen, this is what I need you to do. You need to be aware of your attitude, right? And there were times when I failed, absolutely. And he said, no, it's all right. It's all right. Let's try it again. He showed me first And then he told me what he needed me to do. And I remember when it was finally time for him to go, he was a phenomenal employee. And so he moved on to a a bigger and better job. And, And I remember because of that leading, whenever he moved on to his next job, well, then I, excuse me, was able to kind of take up that mantle, so to speak. And then I became the copy center manager. At some point, Jesus was going to leave the disciples following his crucifixion and his resurrection. But what did he do? He modeled for his disciples what he wanted them to do, that compassionate heart that they needed to have while doing it, and then he told them what to do. The difference between my relationship with my former boss, Sean, and the disciples' relationship with Jesus is their model of responsibility would be someone they could always depend on. Always. You know, Sean, he showed me what to do, told me what to do, and then he moved on, he left. I couldn't call him and be like, hey man, how do you work this copy machine again? He needed to do his work, but what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't go away and never come back. His word was left and the Holy Spirit was left. In order to be effective laborers for the harvest, to have a heart of a laborer, we have to remain dependent upon the example of Jesus. As we come to a close this morning, my question for you guys is this, and for myself too, who is God calling you to labor over? Think about that for a minute. Who is God calling you to labor over? Because make no mistake, God has put somebody in your life who he expects you to labor over. God has put somebody in my life Who he expects me to labor over. He's put me in a unique position and put you in a unique position to have influence on this person's life, to be a laborer for the harvest, our text says. And you know, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says that there will be a, a reaping, there will be work being done as a result of being a laborer as long as we remain faithful. Are you being faithful to the heart? Of a laborer and in order to be a laborer ourselves we need Jesus just like the harassed and the helpless we can't show godly compassion to other people when we have not experienced and accepted the compassion of Jesus Christ reflected through his death on the cross apart from Jesus all people are harassed and helpless Sin plagues their life and there is nothing that they can do on their own in order to save them from it. However, the compassion of Jesus was epitomized through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And when we have placed our faith and our trust in him, he calls us to the life of a laborer. A person who tells others about what Jesus can do and will do for them. You know, during a sermon that he gave in August of 1873, famous pastor and preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said that Matthew chapter 9 verse 38 weighed more heavily on his heart than any other passage in all of the Bible. And I wanna to read to you guys an excerpt from this sermon that I hope weighs heavily on our hearts. Not shame because you aren't being a laborer possibly right now, but I hope that the weight on your heart is this determination that I have a job to do to be a laborer for Jesus, for the harvest. Listen to this quote. It says, the main cry from Christ is that you yourself should go into the highways and the hedges and as many as you find, compel them to come into the gospel feast. The world is dying, the grave is filling, hell is boasting and yet you have the gospel. Can it be that you do not care to win souls or you do not care whether men are damned or saved? The Lord wake us up from this stone-hearted barbarity to other fellow men and make us yearn over them and care about them and pray about them and work for them until the Lord shall arise and send forth laborers into the harvest. As the worship team and prayer partners make their way forward, May I say this to you as one final word, church, through the compassion of Jesus Christ, may this, having the heart of a laborer, be our never-ending mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the example of having a heart of a laborer. Jesus, you showed your disciples and you show us first what the expectation is to tell others about you, to pray for other people, to share in their suffering, to be there alongside the harassed and the helpless. And indeed, we are in a time of the harvest where it is plentiful. There are so many people in our world today that absolutely are in need of you who are absolutely in need of knowing that there are Christ followers who want to share in their harassed and helpless state and to give them the answer the only answer which is you and your son so our Lord as we as we leave here today would these not just be nice words in an old book but would people in this room and all over the world know that this is truth that there are harassed and helpless people who are in desperate need of Jesus Christ and the gospel and would we be willing to take that outside of these walls and be the laborer that you've called us to be to think about that person in our hearts right now that we know is struggling and to show them hey I know this is hard I know that we can't explain this but let me tell you Jesus knows what you're going through and he loves you. Lord, thank you for this church again. Thank you for these people. As we enter into these final moments of worship today, I pray that we are reflective of who that person is that you've called us to labor in their life and that we are willing to do it. I pray this in your name.